Hello everyone, welcome to episode 54 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, thanks to Telltale, I want to play Batman about as much as Ben Affleck does at the moment, YouTube's biggest star in hot water, the return of Konami Corner, and the book club this week just wants you gone as we return to Aperture Science in Portal 2. is Link to the Cast. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, joined on the couch here as I am every single week by the platforming prodigy, Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you this week? Hi, how's it going? Not bad. How are you? Yeah, I'm alright. It's nice to have you back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I missed a, a dynamite show last week by the sounds of it with young Sean McGee. Sad that I could not be on with the uh, the great man himself, as I described in the, the show notes last week, the Katsuyori Shibata of audio i popped for that i wasn't expecting that yeah uh, yeah we had a very good show last week stiff verbal kicks a lot of uh final fantasy talks so yeah. probably i would have been completely lost yeah completely uh, lost. but between that between the uh the anecdotes it was it was an enjoyable show uh, it was very good to have sean on uh he'd been pestering me for a while and uh, i'm glad we finally got round to sort that out well the thing is about final fantasy as much as there are a lot of bad games in that franchise there are a lot of good games as well so we will more than likely be returning most likely to that franchise yeah. at some stage there are a couple of big ones that i'm sure a lot of people yeah i mean expected I think, on there before nine i this is the thing um because i wanted to do six but mm-hmm. uh sean I, mean, I think the, the the one people would have expected us to do first would be seven naturally um but you know we like to we like to go our ways at all yeah times. we like to very much yeah actually yeah <laughs> um but no it was a very enjoyable show and uh we smashed our downloads on SoundCloud. On SoundCloud, yeah, because uh, we're too cheap to pay for to find out how much we're listening to and downloaded on all platforms. Yeah, so we'll um, just stick to SoundCloud. I long since realised that that free one we have doesn't work at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, we, we we got quite a few actual downloads rather than streams last week. So thank you to yeah. all. Um, that's mainly uh, just gonna give a, a little shout out to Underpaid Games Podcast who gave us a, a few comments and likes on the, on the SoundCloud link. We all, we've also got a couple of reblogs from Retro Gamer Ireland yeah. over on the um, WordPress. But I've given I've given the the podcast that there's a listen and it's a very good show. Uh, so, yeah. Two lads who. Uh, you know, like the games, and so go give them a over there, yeah, if you, yeah, if you don't have enough games in your week, and honestly, when is there too much? I know, right? It's our never-ending quest to find out. How's your week been? I was just going to say, like, there's this thing I've realised where the older I get, and the more tired I get, for some you reason... You seem like you've been old and tired as long as I've known you. For some reason, just the more shit there is that needs to be done... And it's a ratio just that doesn't Do you know balance. I'm happy and about this year in, in terms direction. of like things that have to be done games wise this year. It seems a lot of the stuff is getting out of the way early in the year this year. There's a lot of stuff coming out that I want to play early this year. But apart from the usual like annualized games, there's not a huge amount in Q3, Q4 this year that I'm on tender hooks for. Yeah, I mean to be fair, like my and this is the half of the year I usually have more free time in. My so I'm cool. My financial status means that I can only play like free to play mobile games whenever yeah. it turns up on ps plus so watch me play horizon when it comes out <laughs> uh, yeah well i mean i still want to play titanfall 2 and oh, the last guardian and about 10 other games so 
Yeah. It's a big backlog. If someone wants to, you know, give me games for me to review for money, <laughs> that'd be nice. Um, how was your week been? Uh, fine. Um, Got to watch. Not really. Um, oh, happy Valentine's Day, by the oh, way, darling. Oh, thanks. Um, Thankfully, we're not tragic enough to be recording this on Valentine's Day. No, I think true. we recorded a podcast on Valentine's Day before, either me and Brian or me and you. No, it wouldn't be me and you, because you would have been in China last Valentine's Day. No, no you just would have been yeah, back. Yeah, I would have just been back, yeah. Yeah, I got, I, my Facebook mem- I got my Facebook memories there uh, during the week of you, of us on the M6. Uh, I, I had the uh, memories of us eating a ton of pancakes. Oh, was Mancake Blues Day even earlier last year? I think so, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah, Jesus, I guess that's... When is that? February 28th of this year. Oh, my word. We have a tradition in the house. Um, oh. Pancake Tuesday or Shrove Tuesday is a day where... I'm pretty sure it's just... Is it just Europe and the, the and stuff? Or do they do it pancake? I know pancake are pretty much... It's not a seasonal thing in the States. I can confirm it's not a thing in China. Yeah, so we... Uh, on Pancake Tuesday every year in the house... Uh, I will cook a massive stack of pancakes uh, that we more equivalent to for American listeners. We more equivalent to crepes. They're quite thin. Um, I'll cook a massive stack of them, and we will listen to blues music. Uh, so we call them Mancake Blues Day. Um, we uh, Ben, a friend of ours, friend of the show, listener. <clears throat> he uh, he has threatened to top his disgusting pancake, where he put one of every topping I had last year on it. And I had a lot of, like, I tend to go all out. So you have the butter sugar lemon, which is the classic. Uh, we had mini marshmallows, uh, Nutella, um, ice cream, cream. I mean, to be fair, the, the key thing is the actual kind of thickness and consistency of the pancakes themselves. Yeah. Um, oh, they were good. They were yeah, damn yeah. fine pancakes. Yeah, I'm looking for, I'm getting, I've got another measuring jug this year. I'm going to get a second pan so that I can cook it in, twice as quickly. I'll be stunned if I don't make it to 30 and I've not have turned diabetic <laughs> well, honestly let's see, let's see. We'll, um, we'll try our best anyway uh i had uh, i i saw um a little film this week what did you see lego batman oh i wanted to see it over the weekend but we never actually got out of bed until about it's, 12 sunday so it's, it's pretty great i've been told that the jokes come thick and fast for the they first do half an it's hour, very so. like airplane levels of if you're laughing at something you're missing a joke and a reference and it's very um, self-referential as well. It's very self-referential. It's very referential of the Batman franchise and how silly it is sometimes. Uh, there are repeated jokes about how shit the C-tier Batman villains are. Villains are like Condiment King and a few others make a couple of appearances in it. Uh, it also features... Uh, I don't want to get too much into this. Well, actually, uh, I'll say it at the end. So the performances in it are fantastic. Uh, it's, it's a who's who. Uh, this uh, this IMDb page for it. So you got Will Arnett returning as Lego Batman from the the Batman movie, who was absolutely stole the show. I think mm-hmm. in in the Lego movie, uh, Michael Sarah is Robin. Yep. So you're getting the Job George Michael from Arrested Development reunion there, uh, and he's he's brilliant in it. I, like I I've always loved uh, Michael Sarah. But uh, this is one of his, his his better features. He's great as a gormless twit of a child. <laughs> <laughs> He's really like it's it's proper good. Uh, Rosario Dawson is in this uh, as Barbara Gordon. You've got uh, old Ralph Fiennes as Alfred. Zach Galifianakis is the Joker. Yeah, I I, I already knew about uh, Zach. I think Ralph Fiennes as, as Alfred is a damn fine choice Which is because Voldemort is in the movie. There's a Le- oh, there's a yeah. Lego Voldemort, 
right? Because I, I don't think I'm giving that away because I saw a clip of him in the trailer. Oh. And he's not voiced by Ralphie. That's excellent. Uh, Jenny Slate is in it as Hardy Quinn. I'm just going to read out because I don't want to spoil some of the people that are in it. So I'm just going to read out the cast. Jason Manzukis, Colin O'Brien, Doug Benson, Billy D. Williams, the original Two-Face, is Two-Face in this. Strong. Uh, Zoe Kravitz, Kate McCucci, and Ricky Lindholm of Garfunkel and Oates fame. Eddie Izzard, Seth Green. I did hear Jermaine from Flight of the Concords. Ellie Kemper, best known as um, Kimmy Schmidt from The the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt on Mm -hmm. on Netflix. Channing Tatum, Jonah Hill, Adam Devine, Mariah Carey. uh, Like the 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 list goes on. Uh, Ralph Garman, Chris Hardwick. It's 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 pretty great. It's it's quite a. Well, I think the thing is, uh, I imagine a lot of people saw the Lego movie and mm. thought, yeah, I went in on that. Yeah, yeah. It's not like, it's it's not as as big, but it's ridiculous. It is exactly what you would have thought uh, when they said they were going to do a 90-minute film about that Lego Batman character. Sure. Um, it's great. And there's a great opening and closing musical number to it as well. And to just put a cap on my review it as well, as well as thoroughly recommending this film, um, I, I will say, I'm pretty sure... I can go without contradiction saying Lego Batman has the single finest obscure film reference I have ever seen in a film. Okay. And I can't go any further than that because it I nearly fell out of my fucking chair. It is so... Is, is that contained within the Batman universe or nope. the DC universe? Nope. Would I get it? I think you would. I okay. think you would from hanging out with me and hanging out with Jack. You will at least I would guarantee you will at least If you haven't seen this film You will have heard it referred to by any number of I mean have you not realised by now I only pay attention to about 50% of everything that you say Believe me yeah? you will, okay. I, I will have mentioned this enough that you will have heard I fuck, I died I absolutely died Fair play to Brian Brian managed to hold on He saw it about a week before me And managed to not say anything about okay. it Even though it was killing him the whole time All right, okay, but, I'll, put, uh, I'll put that on my list of things Lego to Batman, see Lego Batman absolutely recommends Cool um, but yeah, that's that's going to do it for what we've been up to really this week. Uh, let's get into playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Um, so I spoke quite a bit about Fire Emblem Heroes last week, but mm. I've kind of wrapped that up now. I've sent off my review for Pocket Tactics that will probably be up uh, tomorrow or the next day. Um, my thoughts from it, I can't remember how much I said last week, but essentially where Mario Run felt like Nintendo taking a IP and contextualizing it for... Uh, touch gaming, touch mobile gaming. Mm-hmm. Here it feels like they've taken one of their <clears throat> former IPs and just cut the corners off and gone, boom, there you go. Right. And I can see why they've chosen Fire Emblem Heroes because, I mean, I was surprised that Mario Run didn't end up being an endless runner because yeah. that game could just, you know, that game lasts as long as you want to play it. Yeah. Um, I was surprised that they went for a Mario game or just a, a game that had a kind of finite, finite finite amount of levels. And so you get the sense here that they've wanted a, want a game where they want the player base, they want to retain a player base for, I think, when it comes to mobile gaming, um, like for the one that I, I work on, uh, the average player retention is, uh, the span of time is about nine months. Mm-hmm. And so that's what they kind of want to aim for. 
Um, I don't know if that's kind of the case. It's probably not the same for all games across the board. But I think that's a good time for keeping players engaged and, more importantly, getting them to spend money. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, uh, Fire Emblem Heroes is a free game. And its lowest price point package, I think, is like one ninety nine, And its highest is $69.99. <laughs> yeah. The thing with the IRP, so what you use the pearls for within the game is that you can summon uh, heroes. And they come in different shapes, forms, and sizes. So you have archers, mages, the wizards, healers, the whole kind of spectrum that you'd expect. And the game has a rock, paper, scissors element to it. So one is weak against another, one is strong against another, and you kind of figure out as you go along. But it's a very, very simple. It's not Pokemon or whatever. It's very, very simple. Literally rock, paper, scissors. There's yeah. three different things going on. And you can summon these different um, heroes, and you can also unlock some through like weekly events that they're doing. And that's it's a, a typical kind of trope now in these kinds of games to have like weekly and monthly events. You see it with like MMOs as well to keep players playing, which is fair enough. Yeah. Uh, even like the WWE Champions game has similar stuff as well. And but the the quickest way to do this is to get these pearls, which you also get for um, like I get. Uh, a couple of pearls at the weekend. I get a couple of pearls uh, pretty much every day, I think, because I uh, signed up for the game on its launch day. So I get a couple, like a bonus couple of pearls. And I think it takes like up to 25 to 30. I can't remember exactly to summon. You can summon up to five at a time. Um, and the it gives you kind of the percentage rate for like there's a three tier star hero and then it goes up to like a five star tier and obviously five stars is good great we're using the dave Meltzer scale here uh but for the most part as you can imagine you're mostly going to get three star tier heroes yeah and obviously the five stars are the better that's the ones you want to get but there's only like a three percent chance of obtaining one of them and so you know you you kind of bow before the gods of rng and hope that they work in your favor and as you can imagine they mostly don't mm -hmm. Um, I will say that the game doesn't, it never kind of proper pushes you in that direction. You know, if you really want to get those kinds of heroes, it's because you are, you just want the best. You yeah. are kind of feeling, you're very much a completionist. Um, but you can play the game without ever needing to purchase anything. Like I've played for about a week and a bit now. Um, and at no point did I feel like I really had to uh, purchase pearls to get some of the better obtained heroes now there are a couple of different tiers of difficulty and the, the harder difficulty the the level spike for some of the uh, kind of levels yeah. looks pretty extreme i don't think i'll ever get that far because i don't feel like playing the game that much because well to that degree because the actual core gameplay feels a bit shallow in that regards um so yeah like i feel i've had my time of it now um it's a free-to-play game, so you can never like say don't play it because you don't have to spend any money on it. Um, it's a bit annoying that it's an always online game, um, which I mean, for most people, have phones with you know pretty good price packages these days, so it's not that much of a killer. Um, but yeah, I'm not like I'm not coming out of it thinking, wow, Nintendo have really kind of grabbed this whole mobile market thing and and done what I think they can do with it. Do you still? reckon that like we have in previous weeks that animal crossing is going to be the one i'm not sure because i've said that animal crossing i feel like has the most potential has the most potential but at the same time i what they did with i think it was new leaf 
didn't sound that interesting and was my worry when I started playing Stardew Valley that it would be that kind of game where you just play it for 15 minutes a day because that's all you can do. Well, that seems to be what, uh, not New Leaf, but uh, is it Happy Home Designer, the one that came out last year? Yeah, one of them. Yeah, that's the one that came out last year that's pretty much just the like interior decoration. Yeah, thing. and I mean, a, a lot, lot of people do like New Leaf. Um, like, my girlfriend's a big Animal Crossing fan and likes New Leaf a lot. Yeah, um, and th- there's a lot of those types of mobile games where you play it to do everything you need to do, collect everything in those kind of 15 minutes and then you don't mm. touch against the next day. Mm. Um, and I get that and there are people that want to play those games and that's great. So if Animal Crossing comes out and it's like that, then that's going to work towards that particular audience and that's great. Um, but I'm not... For what Nintendo are capable of, yeah. I'm not entirely sold at the moment. Um, I thought that Mario Run was at least interesting mechanically, even yeah. if it wasn't completely like this is like a great game. But at least I was I could appreciate that they attempted something different with uh, an already existing IP. Uh, other than that, I've been playing uh, Torquil, which is one of the PS Plus games. Uh, really good. It's a kind of puzzle physics. There's a quick play of it up on the yeah. We got a quick play up of it. Um, I think it's really cool. Um, it's kind of it's. It's just enough out of control of your control uh, to to never feel like you are fully comfortable with what you're doing. Um, basically, you use the face buttons. You're you're in a cube. You can move left and right, and you can use the face buttons to extend like a big column, which can project you uh, around the place. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's that that's pretty cool. I'm enjoying the, that. Like there's there's colored sides that correspond to the face buttons. Yeah, yeah. and uh, your uh, the uh, the light on your PS4 controller. Yeah, uh, I saw it. we have a GIF. Yeah, uh, that that changes depending on the color. That's just a really cool little thing. Um, yeah. well, I, one thing I don't like about it, I, I played it a little bit myself now. Uh, the, the, something you said was kind of cool, and it is kind of neat in theory, but it kind of gets bothersome after a while as the music stopping when you're not moving. Um, I mean, so when I start getting stuck, it, the music starts annoying me. Then sure, like it's. I mean, it's not really the this kind is of personal g- thing. Yeah, no, no, it's fair enough, and it's not the kind of game where it's necessary to have the music to, yeah, yeah. to get the full experience. Oh, it's a, it. yeah, it could easily be a turn down the volume, and listen to a podcast thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been playing a couple of things this week. Uh, still deep into, I've been kind of savoring Resident Evil as I go along. Yeah, I figured you'd have had that down by now. If I had gone hardcore, I'd say I would have beaten it now because based on, um, I've been keeping an eye to chapter names without spoiling the. Uh, well, I say chapter names, but kind of areas in the game. So I'm about two-thirds of the way through it now, I think. Uh, just based on the description of the, the chapters, um, or the stages, should I say. Um, and the reason I'm savouring it, well, one is because you kind of do have to take breaks from the relentless intensity of that game. Um, like, you saw me play a small sliver of it today, and it is pretty much like that all the time. Yeah, just, just intense. Yeah, it's just you need to kind of just decompress after a while because it's you know you're constantly on edge but not in a like in my case not in a I'm terrified to turn around the corner sort of way but just in the case of like I just need to take a fucking breather because I have been running and sprinting and flamethrowing and shooting for a long yeah, time yeah the, the common thing I see with uh, a lot of people that played it sp- uh, particularly in VR is oh you can God. only play it for about an hour oh at a time God. like I was saying to you there's one point today where I was playing just while we were you were wrapping a thing up uh, and I was crawling in between the drywall mm. As like bugs were pouring out of cracks in the drywall, and I said, I can only imagine if you weren't cool with bugs and you were playing this in VR, just like because even I would be wigged out, and I'm I'm fine with bugs most of the time, you know. Um, yeah, it's it's an unbelievable game. It's completely rehabbed and turn around turned around 
that massive series. And Jim Sterling actually ruminated on it a couple of weeks ago. He has an excellent Jimquisition video up on Resident Evil Bravely Defaults is, is the name of it. Because it kind of does what Bravely Default does in as much as... So Brave, the point he makes, and I haven't actually thought of it as right, so Square Enix gets a lot of shit because Square Enix knows the kind of games it does right. Yeah. The the kind of, the, the sprawling JRPGs, but just refuses to do it most of the time and people get annoyed. And then they came out and made Bravely Default, which is very much a Square JRPG. And they, Square, were surprised that people liked it. <laughs> and Jim Sterling's point was like, of course the fuck, it's what we love you for. You know, went back when they were two companies. Yeah. That's what they did best. It's what everyone wanted them. Just keep doing JRPGs. We love that shit. And this is what Capcom are doing. Like, Capcom, for years, haven't really given a shit about making... There was... We read on the podcast, one of our early podcasts, when Capcom came out went, we're not really interested in making new games anymore. We're just going to keep re-releasing old ones. Um, I fully can't wait for that remake of a remake of a remake of Resident Evil 1. Well, this is actually, this is another thing. And again, I'll, I'll direct you to the Jim Sterling video. Uh, watch it. He says it a lot better than I can because he's Jim fucking Sterling's son. But uh, he points out, you can tell if Capcom care about a system if they've re-released Resident Evil on it. Because <laughs> the only one of this generation systems you can't get a copy of Resident Evil on is the Wii U. Yeah. Like they've re-released either Resident Evil the remake of Resident Evil or the remake of the remake of Resident Evil on pretty much every fucking console since Resident Evil came Which, out. Which, in fairness, actually, I think that um, you could make Resident Evil 1 and use the, the kind of map on the tablet. That probably actually would work pretty yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other game I want to... Uh, it, yeah, but that game is excellent. Uh, there'll be more on that. And when I finish it up, I'm going to do a write-up, I think, about it. Um, just my thoughts on it as a big horror game buff. The other game I've been playing this week, I'm trying to clear a bit of backlog off the uh, off the PlayStation so that I can delete some games. Um, just because my library is getting very crowded at the moment. And I went back and I played Telltale's Batman. Mm. <sighs> upsides it is and the the one thing i will say the one thing i don't think anyone can really take away from telltale is that the standard of writing in telltale games has been consistently high since walking dead season one so walking dead season one is an immaculately written uh drama right uh wolf among us which i have started playing as well i'm i know i'm way behind on that but i've started playing that since i finished batman is unbelievably well written and that's adapted from a comic book series i like quite a bit and it's a brilliant adaptation of it uh, i really like the writing in the game of thrones one um tales from the borderlands is brilliant tales from the borderlands is the best piece of lore from the borderlands universe uh it well that's not saying much but people love I the like characters. borderlands yeah, yeah. But people love the characters sure yeah. you know what i mean but this to but me story is, this bollocks. to me is the most interesting thing that has occurred in the borderlands universe that's yeah, the best yeah. way of putting it because there's so much, like, handsome Jack and shit like that. And yeah. it's, it's a good time. But, um, yeah, so their, their writing has been consistently good. And Batman is no exception. It's a really interesting spin on the Batman universe. It's a Batman who is, I think, late 20s, early 30s. He's not long into being Batman. So, therefore, a lot of his rogues gallery are very young. So you meet uh, through the course of the game people like uh, Harvey Dent who's running for mayor instead of running for district attorney like he generally is in Batman universes when shit happens to mm -hmm. Harvey Dent. Mm -hmm. uh, Penguin 
who is respawned as a friend from Bruce Wayne's youth who has come back into Gotham. Um, Vicky Vale as well. They're all really young and the kind of... Um, the spin on Penguin as kind of like a skinny, cockney, hipster ball bag of a lad uh, is interesting. Um, also, the Batman universe is really well suited to the animation style that Telltale really like. It does look like a moving comic book. Sure, yeah. Uh, downside to the surprise of fucking nobody <laughs> is the engine. Fuck sake, Telltale Games need to fix that engine. The amount of money they have made off licensed properties over the years must be astonishing. And they can't just have... Like, I watched the, the Danny O'Dwyer documentary recently with, with John Romero where he was talking about how he wanted to split the small id team into half working on a game and half building the next iteration of the id engine. Mm-hmm. Now, if he... And I believe that he knows that this was feasible because he's fucking John Romero. If he thinks that a small, an already small team can be split in half and still develop a game and develop an engine at the same time, Telltale have no real excuse for this. This And and it's getting worse because the more they try to do in these games and the less they're addressing the engine, the more problems are going to occur. Uh, so I have no real faith uh, in Walking Dead Season 3, which is coming out soon, which is a shame because I would have liked to have played that game under other circumstances, uh, or Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, or a presumptive, because all of them have been teased, a second season of Wolf Among Us, a second season of Game of Thrones, a second season of Batman, maybe even a second season of Tales from the Borderlands, who well, knows? Well, I wonder, um, the the people that were working with Telltale at the beginning when they were going through like Walking Dead and stuff mm-hmm. like I don't know of them who are still there who have moved on uh, because it clearly is showing that all of the attention is on the writing which as you've said and other people say is still you know is top tier yeah. quality yeah. but clearly there are people there who either are just not doing their fucking jobs or who have moved on to yeah. other areas and, and the people that they've yeah. got there now it's strange Just as well because yeah, like they seem to rotate in top writers as well and still uh, churn out really good quality stuff because the guy who who's the lead writer on this Batman game, I looked at his IMDb page and he had been on, I think, one Telltale Games project just as a staff writer before. And obviously this was his time to step up to the plate as lead writer. Mm. So they have enough staff and are conscious of rotating not to get stale on that side of things. But just get a four-person team to even investigate the possibility of fixing the engine, if not utterly rebuilding it. Yeah, I, I think or it's, borrowing someone else's engine. I don't think that's an entirely unreasonable. It's not like did you see the um, the tweet the other week from someone saying, "Oh, you only need three people to make a new Half-Life game. You just need an artist and a programmer. That's about it." Yeah. You know, I think like asking four people to put to, uh, an engine together, which is not. Uh, let's be honest, the Telltale games are not the most action-heavy action heavy mechanically robust yeah. you know yeah uh yeah I, it's i don't think we're saying anything that hasn't already been said before yeah um but uh yeah that's what it I seems mean. like it's a shame yeah it, yeah it really is it's a crying shame that good stories are being held back by shitty performance like that uh the frame rate and just like i had at least half a dozen hard crashes yeah playing through five or episodes maybe maybe they're holding out and in a couple of years time they're going to have like a big remastered version with all of them they're going to be fixed and then everyone's going to go and buy them again um who knows Uh, anyway that's going to do it for playing this week moving on to the news news on the mark
I think it would be remiss of us not to start with this one, Mark. The number one personality on YouTube, a site we are fond of, a site we post on, um, and he is a gamer in some respects, although he's spun away from gaming a lot in recent years. He still comes back and does he's gaming. He's doing a lot of kind of pseudo-social commentary critiquing. Yeah, social commentary, vlogging, yeah, a lot of that yeah. stuff. The, the gaming is still kind of a backbone. It's still there. Like, he did a playthrough of Resident Evil Yeah, well, like, when the game is, is worthy of... Yeah. But it's PewDiePie, so PewDiePie. He, he's Felix. number one, um, unless you count... He's number one on YouTube, unless you count the collective uh, uh, subscribers to all the Vivo channels. Vivo, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so he's been in a little bit of hot water. Have you been following this story? Yes, I have, yeah. Okay. I'm on Twitter quite a lot of the time. Yeah. Okay, so... He did a video in which... Um, I. Do you want me to explain Did, it? I'll, I'll read out the, the original story here, right? So PewDiePie created a video. Um, <laughs> created a video to highlight Fiverr, a website where people can sell their services for $5. The video sees PewDiePie choose the above phrase, which is death to all Jews, and then look visibly stunned when he gets exactly what he paid for. So but he basically paid two people $5 to unfurl a sign saying death to all Jews. Now... This is, I think, people had found, digging back into his archives, three other videos. I think it's three. It could be two, but I think it's three. Uh, other videos that contained uh, somewhat similar anti-Semitic uh, references. Mm. Uh, now, I, I don't doubt that he, in his heart, is not an anti-Semite. You know, I don't, I, I don't think he is. And he has released a statement since saying that he's not. i got to be honest, th- he looks like a Nazi. <laughs> The the real question though is um, that you know he really shouldn't have been doing it anyway. Like whether you are or you aren't doesn't look, give you like just say because you say I don't hate Jewish people yeah. it doesn't give you license then to do things. like There's that. There's a really but... good video by H three H three Productions. Yes, um, I love H three H three. Yeah, now he put a video up and so he they very much remind me of a modern day version of the Keen Eddies, yeah. which is an incredibly niche reference. He's um he's friends with Felix. And yes. he is also himself Jewish. Yes. And he was keen to stress out that it's context, you know, mm. because the the Washington Post, no, it was the... the um, Huffington Post? No, uh, New York... Um, New York Times, New York Post. No, the financial... Wall Street Journal? Wall Street Journal, that's the one. They um, they put a, a, a post up and it basically just, it was kind of very much like a kind of clicky bait. PewDiePie makes yeah. anti-Semitic remarks. And that's not what the video is. No. It's very much a, um, look what people will do for Fiverr. People yeah. will do anything yeah. for Fiverr. That is the, the context of that video. Yeah. Now, I think it's fair enough to say that it's very easy to look at that video and take the wrong impression from it. Yeah. But because we live in an era where people will not go that, that extra quick step just to contextualize. Verify, yeah. To verify, yeah. It does come across in the vein that, oh, he is being anti-Semitic, when you can quickly see that that's not the case at all. Now, do I agree that he has done this, or do I think he's gone about this the correct way? No. Um, he's been very, very foolish, and... Yeah, like, I think he wraps up that video. I don't know if you've watched the video. I've only seen the bits I need to see. To... So, so he wraps up the video by legitimately profusely apologising, mm. because... He... He legitimately didn't think he was. His video was he was trying to test, like you said, the limits of what people will do for five dollars. Yeah, I mean, because he didn't like. I think in his own head, he thought 
no one would ever fucking do something like this. Mm, yeah. And they did. And he apologized. And I think in his head, he thought that was sufficient apology, you know, and he still posted the video. But no, that's I gonna, think Especially that... when it gets taken out of hand, like you said, and taken out of context and people think... And let's be honest, this isn't the first time that something that PewDiePie has done no. or whatever has been taken out of context. This has happened on several occasions yeah. now. But the result of this and the reason it's become a big story is because Disney who have a loose affiliation with him yeah. uh, have dropped him so they're no longer uh, paying him anymore he had he had an affiliation ironic as well considering that Walt Disney was a Nazi but hey, <laughs> he had a uh, like a content distribution deal with him where like he had full editorial control they weren't like pushing products on him or anything like that but there was like a financial sort of arrangement yeah, yeah. there uh, YouTube have also cancelled and let's his... just point out by the way why do Disney have a loose affiliation with Felix because what is Felix, Felix PewDiePie's kind of core audience? Yeah, yeah, young people. Young people. Yeah, yeah. Straight away there. And Disney are not fucking stupid. Yeah, yeah. If they see something... Oh, no, like, from a business point of view, they have not and, done anything wrong And we've wrong said here. before as well, when it comes to Disney, they are business people before anything uh-huh. else. Yeah, if yeah, something's yeah. not working, there's a couple of there's, uh, there's a couple of stories coming up this week where, like, I would prefer people to have acted in a different way, but from a business per- perspective, they have acted completely correctly. Yeah. And this is one of those where, like... <sighs> You and I both know, and most people listening to this, because I credit our listeners, the ones that come in contact with us anyway, as being fairly savvy enough to have known uh, Felix himself is not some sort of anti-Semite. And I'm not being an apologist for him at all, but no, it's, no. it's clear looking at his content. It's clear. He's not a hateful man. No, he's not anti-Semite here. He's just a bit of an idiot. Yeah, yeah. He just, I, I think he was a bit naive in posting the video and not expecting this to happen. Sure. Um, YouTube Red have also cancelled his uh, premium series so YouTube Red is a premium service that you spend as a $10 a month to get uh, your YouTube Red subscription and a Google Play uh, subscription um, he had a series where basically they would use video gamey tropes to try and scare him in real life mm. um, so they've cancelled that series he's also been taken off their Google preferred list which is a list of uh, family friendly relatively friendly family friendly accounts that uh, advertisers can post on yeah so obviously uh, a lot he's he's he, he's still doing pretty well for money pretty much better than all of us but he has seen a significant hit to his revenue streams come this week pretty much uh, i mean disney youtube and what the will, wider google what will be interesting is what his response to this is because we've he's seen already written a Oh, has he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't so, seen uh, that. I'll try and find it. Um, because we've seen over the last year where certain YouTube personalities have got themselves into legal trouble. He has definitely already handled it a lot better than um, the CSGO Muppets. Yes. Like, he didn't for a second deny that, that it had happened. Yeah, no, between... Uh, did you see the the uh, FIFA Ultimate Packs idiot from the other week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, his response as well was like, oh, I didn't think I was doing... When they say, I didn't think I was doing anything wrong, it's like... Straight away, anything you say afterwards, I will not take credible because you know exactly what you was doing. Mm. Um, but also, like this isn't a, a legal thing that he's done wrong here. It's just yeah. the, the rather dumb thing to do. Yeah. Um, like, like I'm quite. I'm like I've I've never been a huge fan of his his like his gaming and stuff like that because I don't like the the shouty screamy high energy. No, YouTubers. I mean that's kind of the the. But his, like, the, actually, the more he's drifted away, funnily enough, for someone who appreciates gaming as much as I do, the more he has drifted away from gaming and talked about uh, different things, uh, the more I've actually liked Yeah, him. like, some of his critique stuff is, is, is interesting, and he has a, a flair, you know, and a, yeah. a timing for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and, like, again, like, 
his subscription followers will t- take a, a dent. But um, as I've seen with also the CSGO Muppets and the, the FIFA lad from last week, um, YouTube subscribers of that nature are fiercely loyal. Mm. Uh, distressingly so. Uh, because again, they're kind of a young audience and don't seem to know better. Are you struggling to find this post here? No, I found it. I was oh, just okay. waiting for you to finish Oh, sorry. Okay. Uh, so he released a statement on his Tumblr page. Um, it came to my attention yesterday that some have been pointing to my videos and saying that I'm giving credibility to the anti-Semitic movement and my fans are part of it as well for watching which is something we didn't mention from the not the Wall Street Journal but I think maybe Variety or someone like that had that, implicated that phenomenal. the fans that were appreciating the video were therefore implicitly supporting mm. the anti-Semite movement mm. uh, I don't want to cite sources because I don't want to give them any more attention which is an excellent way of cutting bullshit down, by the way. Yep. You know, don't give them any more attention. This originated from a video I made a couple of weeks ago. I was trying to show how crazy the modern world is, specifically some of the services available online. I picked something that seemed absurd to me, that people on Fiverr would say anything for $5. I think it's important to say something that I... Uh, and I want to make that one thing clear. I'm in no way supporting any kind of hateful attitudes. I make videos for my audience. I think of the content I create as entertainment and not a place for any serious political commentary. I know my audience understand that, and that is why they come to my channel. Though it was not my intention, I understand that these jokes were ultimately offensive. As laughable as it is that I might actually endorse these people to anyone unsure of my standpoint regarding hate-based groups, no, I don't support these people in any way. (laughs) Thanks for reading. Here's the the thing. The people that didn't like PewDiePie before anyway, this is further validation for them. The people that don't really care either way or do like him... It's ultimately, I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference. Yeah, the right. only difference it has made is business-wise. For yeah, like it, it, it should have suffered a, a huge loss business-wise, but it's also kind of fair because you shouldn't expect to oh, continue a business sure. relationship with someone like Disney after making comments like that, yeah. uh, even though they aren't your... You know, it's, it's a really tough kind of... But if you're going to be in that sort of uh, business association, you can't be associated with content like mm-hmm. that. Um, moving on, anyway... Breath of the Wild launch game for the Nintendo Switch coming out on the 3rd of March 2017 is going to come with a season pass it was announced this week. Um, Now, I know this is the first time a Zelda game has come with a season pass, but to me, I don't know about you, Mark, I was not surprised by this. No. This doesn't surprise me at all. Also, I think my whole thing, uh, before I hand over to you and before I discuss what actually is in this season pass... Uh, my whole thing on season passes is I am fine with season passes provided it is not explicitly cutting off say the end of the game that you're you know what I mean where it's not where you're getting the full game and it's just it is actually additional content and not content that was supposed to ship as part of the full game originally um so that it is a real a la carte. If you like this game a lot, you might want to try this. And I think it's far less insidious a way to get extra money out of people than you remember the phenomenon that was online passes. Indeed. That started picking up steam for a while around the same time DLC did mm-hmm. and that's kind that thankfully went the way of the dodo. Mm-hmm. But uh Uh my my short two cents, uh, yeah. I've never bought a season pass and I never will buy a season pass. Yeah. Um, I thought that Nintendo did a pretty good job with Mario Kart 8, but that's yeah, a pretty that's easy game. It, yeah. Because, hey, look, here's the eight cups. Well, mm-hmm. there's always been eight cups in Mario games. Here's yeah. some extra cups with extra yeah. tracks, whatever. Well, that's the thing. Whatever. is that it, One of the things that people were getting carried away with the story is that they were going, Nintendo doing a DLC, forgetting 
like you said that Mario Kart 8 did it and it was quite good and that Smash Brothers for Wii U did it with extra characters and sure. stages well, uh, let's be honest those are two games where you can do that kind of thing yeah. you know it's but not again if, if you look at the, the stuff that's going into Zelda so I'll read out what's coming out so uh, your expansion pass bonus is that straight away if you get it on the day March 3rd 2017 you'll get three new treasure chests uh, found in the Great Plateau contain useful items in, includes uh, exclusive in-game clothing so that's your standard day zero bonus yeah there's always that because they'll want you to buy the DLC whether the season pass but there'll be a little incentive like skins or whatever to get the DLC and straight I'm away. always fine with skins because they are not cosmetic they are cosmetic so. yeah yeah um DLC Pack 1, which will come out in the summer of 2017, has new Cave of Trials challenge, so a, a new little challenge mode there. Uh, new hard mode, so like an additional level, like a new game plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of RPGs do that. Witcher, one of its DLC expansions was a new game plus mode, so cool with that. Uh, additional map feature, which is a very fucking vague thing to yeah. say. <laughs> um, then DLC Pack 2 will have a new dungeon, additional challenges, and a new original story, so proper story expansion for a uh, Zelda game. Um, the other thing that's worth saying as well is that the price of this DLC is $20 or £17.99, which as far as pricing for DLC season passes go, pretty good. Um, and considering there's a good chance that come the end of the year we still have no fucking games for this system, mm-hmm. sure, why not? Uh, I, yeah, like, I'm I, my thing with uh, Season Passes is that I have bought some in the past, but I will only buy them if I genuinely think I'm going to like the content, or I've waited long enough that the content has come out and it's good. Uh, so the first one I ever bought was Bioshock Infinite, because Burial at Sea is excellent. Uh, I've bought a f- like some here or there since then, uh, like the Witcher's expansions, which were a combined fifty hours for twenty five quid. Yeah, my uh, my my like thing that. is always that I will no- I just refuse to buy anything like that until I know and I've had reviews. So even if I end up paying more money afterwards, I'd rather pay that because I know it's something that I actually. Yeah want to play because i've read the reviews and whatever else yeah. but so. i'm fine with a little bit yeah, of extra sure. zelda and it doesn't seem uh, overtly anyway that things have been cut out um if it's a new separate story and not a kind of you know postscript kind of thing but uh yeah so that's the, the season pass there for breath of the wild uh, a game that was added recently to xbox one backwards compatibility gta 4 the only grand theft auto game uh 3d grand theft auto game anyway that i'm not a big fan of yeah we've had this discussion before and yeah. you're wrong but hey whatever <laughs> this was the period of time where i was just like gta forgot not completely forgot, but definitely forgot a little bit the fun factor of GTA games. I see. I absolutely refuse to accept that because, you know, we had online multiplayer was introduced to Grand Theft Auto 4. And so I, I started my uh, game design uh, course at university around about this mm. time. And so myself and a couple of my friends, friend of the show, Chaz, and uh, another friend of ours, Russ, played a lot of the online... Mo- you know, the kind of... The core of what we have now of the GTA 5 online multiplayer was based in there. And I had I had so much fun with that that I actually um, only got about... I'm going to say halfway through the main story campaign and then didn't touch it again for another three months because I was playing the online mode still. Mm. So I just... Yeah, well, my yeah. thing is like in terms of the extra story, sure. Yeah, it's a bit more gritty. And... Yeah, it's and it's like the, it's the least wacky a GTA world has been for me. Um, like I'm a guy who I still to this day my favorite GTA game is Vice City. Uh, behind it is either San Andreas or Five, maybe. I love Five a lot. 
Um, hey, look, spent it's, a lot of time you, on you've got twice. You, you have to have a Majora's Mask and a Wind Waker. Yeah, you know? yeah, you yeah. have to be able to mix it. Um, but anyway, the, the point is, it's it's on Xbox One now, backwards compatibility. I've been tempted to go back and revisit it and see if I have harshly judged the game. Mm. Um, because I imagine it would be very cheap to pick up digitally. But um, <clears throat> here's the thing. It runs uh, faster, despite the fact I haven't really done anything to it. So it runs faster and better on Xbox One. Uh, the results are in for GTA 4's episode. Blah, 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 blah. Hold on. I get to the original story here because it's just talking about the. Da, 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 da. Sorry, this is from Eurogamer here. So the key difference here is that the original game operates with an unlock frame rate running above and indeed below the console standard 30 FPS. That's back from previous generation. Uh, new frames are delivered somewhat unevenly as a result, usually at 16 uh, milliseconds and 33 millisecond periods. When the game is running well, on paper, Xbox One looks good. It hits the same performance level as original hardware, but can actually deliver anything up to a five frame per second advantage. In terms of quality, uh, in terms of the quality of Microsoft's virtual machine, this is impressive. GTA 4 hits CPU hard in particular. However, frame pacing on Xbox One isn't quite right, whereas uh, 360 delivers new frames in 16 to 33 millisecond intervals. Xbox One often tosses in a bunch of 50 milliseconds and even 66 millisecond spikes. The end result is that while mathematically GTA 4 runs faster on Xbox One than it does on 360, the experience is some uh, something else entirely. It feels choppier and more uneven, where, while controller latency, hardly one of the game's strongest points on the original hardware, seems... Uh, sometimes feels significantly laggier on Xbox One. In certain areas, frame pacing seems to normalize, but by and large, the in-game performance seems less stable. So that's cool. interesting that they've they've sped up the game, but that has caused some performance issues on Xbox One, a much more powerful machine. You wouldn't think necessarily that a game that's that old would experience such performance performance issues on um, a superior machine. Well, if machine, the game but... was designed with a particular in in a particular way, mm. tinkering with that. Yeah can cause yeah but it's it's strange issues. that red dead redemption ported so well um I, well i mean red dead also did come out a few years later mm. so I, same generation same architecture even though. still that's in the same, same generation four years or so makes a big difference that's true that's true like you look at the start of the n64 and then mm. the end of it so um what's next now humble bundle humble freedom bundle this is one that i tweeted out from the link to the cast uh, account on, on twitter at link to the cast during the week um and it's a bundle of games and i will uh, read out some of the ones that are in here uh this bundle came up and it's to raise uh funds for the american civil liberties union international rescue committee and doctors without borders as a protest against uh young dunny t yeah yeah what up, Donny T? <laughs> uh, against uh, the, the the president's uh, legislation. It's already raised over three million dollars. Yes, that's the point. It's already raised. It is currently at four million. Oh, it's four million. Four million sixty nine thousand six hundred three dollars of an original goal of three hundred thousand, uh, and we've still got how much left? We've still got five days left. Which on isn't that surprising bundle. because the list of games in this. Allow me to read out some of the ones that are in here. So. The Witness, Stardew Valley, Subnautica, Day of the Tentacle, Overgrowth, Nuclear Throne, Octodad, Dadliest Catch, which is one of my favourites, Super Meat Boy, World of Goo, Invisible Ink, uh, I'm just scanning through ones that I recognise here now, Stanley Parable, Super Hexagon, uh, as I like to call it, uh, Guacamelee Super Turbo Championship Edition, uh, The Swapper, human resource machine 
Rockets, rockets, rockets. All one word. Um, what else in here do I recognize? Uh, Retro Game Crunch, Tower of Guns. Uh, da, 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 yeah, that's pretty much all the. Yeah, ones the I unfortunate recognize. thing. There's, for me there's here, loads more stuff in there and a couple of ebooks as well. The, the the unfortunate thing for me here is I own pretty much all of these games. Yeah, yeah, I own all the big ones in the list and a couple of the ones that I don't own on yeah, Steam already but still are for, sold out for news customers. For thirty dollars, that's yeah, that's like that's about as good of a deal as you could possibly get yeah so if you fancy that go to humblebundle.com forward slash freedom and it's all for a great cause because fuck Donald Trump yeah um, so five days left as we record or well it'll be four days by the time you listen to this if you're listening to it on Thursday when we come out so uh, check that out that's certainly uh, a worthy cause or series of causes indeed uh, what is up next on the schedule there? Uh, we've got Watch Dogs 2. So it turns out the sales of Watch Dogs 2, the vastly, vastly, I can't even describe to you the ways in which it is vastly improved from the original, <laughs> uh, had what was described as a soft launch compared to expectations by publisher Ubisoft, but it sounds like the company will still stick with the franchise. Longer term sales of the game have been strong due to positive word of mouth, which is what you'd expect, because a lot of people would have been hesitant having been burned once by Watch Dogs. Uh, and now, only after hearing how great it is, are people starting to pick it up. Um, they basically said that they're happy about the possible future of Watch Dogs. In fact, in another news story this week, there is a big update uh, to Watch Dogs 2 that uh, adds kind of a postscript, almost like a post credit sequence by the sounds of it, to the, the main story mode in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually teases the location of the third game. Uh, so it does look like they're fairly positive on uh, moving forward with the franchise. And you know what? After the second one, I'm I'm cool with that. I really like Watch Dogs too. Uh, you haven't had time to dick around with it yourself, have you? Uh, I've not played a yeah. single. You could have you even seen it. me play it. No. Oh, it's it's very good, and it's quite here. It's quite fun. It actually remembers that video games are supposed to be fun. Which yeah, the first I one haven't had a, an didn't. open world game to play for a while, so mm. I should put that on the list. We've had uh, some details, sort of. It's still a bit of a confusing bundle. Uh, about the Switch smartphone app. Uh, let me to read here from Eurogamer again. Nintendo Switch will connect to a smartphone app to manage your online gameplay experience and to video chat. That much we knew already. Although the specifics of how it will work, what you will do to connect, uh, when it will launch, and how much it will cost are still up in the air. But while we wait for answers to those big questions, here's a little more information on the app's functionality from a Splatoon press release, Splatoon 2 press release sent out this morning. Splatoon 2 will be compatible with an upcoming Nintendo Switch app for smart devices that enhances online play, Nintendo wrote. The app will connect to the game and allow players to set appointments with friends who have been added to their Nintendo Switch friends list or via their uh, their social media accounts. This is actually cool. The app will let you schedule matches with friends. I can imagine sitting on the train home from work and using it to arrange a play session later in the evening. So it's kind of what it seems to do uh, is just allow you to do party invites which you can do off the console on playstation i haven't done party stuff on xbox one so i don't know how smoothly that works it works pretty well on playstation i must say i don't know if i can do it off the app on playstation though i'm never going to use this app (laughs) yeah i think the only reason i'd ever use it would be to like do voice chat with somebody if i want to because i would i would certainly uh, at this point, trust anything over Skype. If I to be reliable yeah. for audio. If if I want to do a party invite of some description, I have Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, well, the thing and... as well is that uh, most of the time when I play Nintendo games multiplayer, it's local. 
there is that as well. But even if I play it online, like, I'll just go, like, I'll have my laptop next to me and I'll see, is anyone online? Let's play. Mm. Um, I, alright, fine. I appreciate them doing this, but uh, I don't know, like, I don't even have uh, the, the PlayStation app. I, I, I have no use for any of that kind of stuff because yeah. if I need to find out something, I've probably got my laptop in front of me. Yeah, um, the PlayStation app. Hey, the one thing, I, the one thing, I, the one cool gadget the PlayStation app has that I really like is if your PlayStation is in rest mode, as you you tend to like to keep yours in rest mode. So say something comes out and you want to buy it and you're in work, uh, you can if it's if you've paired it with the PlayStation. Yeah, you can from work knock on your PlayStation app, buy the game, hit download. Your PlayStation will turn on here, start the download, go back into rest mode, download the game, yeah, and it's there by the time you get home. Fucking that's great. fucking great. Yeah. Um, that's of an actual use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but hey, at least Nintendo somehow are sort of bringing voice chat back. Yeah, in just but in the most convoluted way possible and in the like, most nintendo way possible and, well yeah and again like it's voice chat i don't care i don't want to mm. use it i haven't used voice chat since i was about 17 and i'm more well, we're very yeah, we're very much tend to be solitary players anyway even when we play online we prefer to like listen to music or a podcast instead of talk to other yeah. people um like i liked doing when we played when we were at the peak of playing gta 5 online i liked doing party chat with the lads because we were in a gang and we'd sure. be you know having yeah, to coordinate sense. shit yeah uh, I definitely would never go into just a chat room with strangers. <laughs> I would always just do party chat with my mates because I don't want to fucking hear from anyone else. Uh, <laughs> Splatoon 2 oh. is getting an open beta or a test fire series coming in March, uh, which is cool. Um, it's a, a little bit of a kind of half incentive to get people to kind of get on board to switch a little bit earlier. Uh, it's probably just a stress test for the Oh, service. it is, but it's, you know, it's uh, it can be both at the same time. It's That's a true. nice little... Because um, the game's not out till June, I don't think. Mm, yeah. Mario right. Kart's April. I think this is just summer June, 2017. So Sorry. they're... Uh, every day from March 24th to March 26th, there will be uh, hour-long... Uh, several hour-long sessions in which people can download the beta for Splatoon 2, come on. Actually, I remember them doing something similar for the original Splatoon, because I remember playing the beta of that. I think, actually, no, I think that might have been a weekend. uh, Yeah, yeah, it might have been. Well, this is, they're doing it on the 24th at 7pm GMT. On the 25th, they're doing it at 3am, 11am, and 7pm GMT. Till I know that is what they did, because that rings a bell now, yeah. (laughs) And March 26th, they're doing it at 4am and 12pm GMT. So they're obviously testing in different time zones all at the same time to make sure the global network is up and running for whenever that game comes out. It'd be nice to get it out a little earlier if there's nothing really wrong with the netcode on it. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, Splatoon 2, people are hyped for that. Sure. That'll be the first, besides Zelda, that'll be the first... uh, Switch game people are super hyped for. Yeah, and it's going to be the the kind of key one to see how this whole how multiplayer functionality works. Basically, I imagine this will come out at the same time that they roll out the free beta for the Nintendo Online service. Yeah, that's coming out in the summer as well. Uh, more than three years after launch, it feels like we have read this identical story out so many times. Well, the numbers raise every time. GTA Five is top of the charts again. Who the fuck is still buying this game? Who doesn't already own it? Uh, GTA Five is back at the top of the UK charts more than three years after its original release. Rockstar's open-world success has been hovering around the top spot again since Christmas, although it has rarely dropped outside the top ten since it first arrived in September 2013. 
This week marks the 12th week GTA 5 has sold more than any other game in the UK. For a game now several years old, it is a noteworthy feat. Just three games have recorded more uh, time at the top of the UK charts. Those are Zumba Fitness, We Fit, and Who Wants to Be a Millionaire has the record, which is incredible. FIFA 14 has uh, had equaled GTA 5's dozen total that it's on now. Um, this is the full top 10 list for January in the UK. Uh, number 1, GTA 5. Number 2, Neo. 3, Resident Evil 7. 4, FIFA 15. 5, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. 6, Battlefield 1. 7, Rocket League. 8, Hitman. 9, Overwatch. 10, Watch Dogs 2. Pretty outstanding that uh, Rocket League is in there considering for a month it was free on the most popular console in the world. Yeah, I've just seen... Um... The most infuriating comment in the the Eurogamer comment section. You do tell. I find this sad. It's a clear indication of the lack of quality of current gen titles. When there I look is at someone who doesn't own a current gen console, you've... or maybe owns an Xbox One. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what? Ah, oh, Sunset Overdrive what, for life. What a prick. Uh, that is like how you know. It's a phenomenon. You know that game is incredible. It's it... incredible, and there's someone like I. If I tried to 100% that game, I probably still would be playing it now. Yeah, it was crazy when uh, Wet 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 were top of the charts for 16 weeks back in the early 90s. <laughs> but this is just ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Um. Oh, this is a sad story. This hurt my heart. Did you see this one before I posted this in the notes, Mark? Uh. Yeah, I did see about this. So yeah. there was uh, a, this great noble idea. Uh. There was there was a man, a Nintendo fan who, uh, an amateur archivist, you might say, called Biu, who said he was going to collect and digitize the entire SNES library. He was starting this big, big project to do it. Uh, and he has had to shitcan that whole project because he lost around $10,000 worth of games in the post. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, the parcel contained between $7,500 and $10,000 worth of vintage games which were en route to him. The package made the journey from Frankfurt to his uh, home state of New Jersey, but after uh, but after this was lost by the US Postal Service. It was the second of five planned shipment from, shipments from a European collector who has now been left without a large chunk of their collection. He had planned to borrow the games 100 at a time, dump the contents, then repackage them and send them back. This worked fine for the first hundred, so he was eagerly awaiting the ship second shipment to continue his work. Um, it's very sad that he stopped doing it. I mean, you can understand if you lose ten grand's worth of games. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, I bet Nintendo are delighted with this. Yeah, but what it brings up is uh, the interesting point that there really aren't enough people that are doing things like this. Uh, you, There really should be a more kind of uh, dedicated widespread effort to preserving gaming history i mean we have jobs yeah but there's a lot of really old stuff um like pre-nes pre-famicom that's like they just don't exist anymore yeah like from the arcade era and from the like the the old um ataris and shit like that people just don't have them and companies weren't in of the mind of keeping some of this shit around. Oh, no, it was... No one knew that, you know, all of this would be what it would be in the end. Yeah, uh, um, so it's, it's kind of a shame. There is part of me that appreciates the romanticism of having certain games that are now just lost in history. Yeah. Because um, I'm one of those pricks. <laughs> um, but, yeah, this is, like... that. It's just awful to lose that amount of money. 
um, or just having that kind of sense of powerlessness that you can't do anything about this particular situation. Uh, that's that's no good. For the final two stories this week, Mark, I'm sad to say, will you please come and join me in Konami Corner? Mm-hmm. Couple of tidbits here from Konami this week. <laughs> Couple of tidbits. This one came out of fucking left field. Netflix are making a Castlevania show. Producer Adi Shankar, who previously worked on the movies Dread, which is excellent, and Lone Survivor, which I never saw, has revealed he's working on a Castlevania series for Netflix, which according to him will be the Western world's first good video game adaptation, which is an excellent path shot, and probably true. The first season will launch this year, 2017, with season two coming in 2018. Both seasons, and this is very interesting to me, both seasons were penned by comic book writer Warren Ellis, who's also producing alongside Shankar, Kevin Fold, and Fred Seibert, uh, both producers of Adventure Time. Talking to IGN, Shankar said the plot will be an adaptation of Castlevania III, Dracula's Curse. He added, this is very much Castlevania done in the vein of Game of Thrones. He also said the series is going to be, and I quote, R-rated as fuck. <laughs> it doesn't have an exact uh, release date. But here is the blurb. It's an animated series, by the way. Uh, inspired by the classic video game series, Castlevania is a dark medieval fantasy following the last surviving member of the disgraced Belmont clan trying to save Eastern Europe from extinction at the hand of Vlad Dracula Tepe himself. The animated series is from Frederator Studios, a WoW Unlimited media company written by best-selling author and comic book icon Warren Ellis and executive produced by Warren Ellis, Kevin Coley, uh, Fred Seibert and Adi Shankar. Yeah. That's a mad one, isn't it? I, I sure. Why not? Like, um, there, there's no new Castlevania games on the horizon, so sure, yeah. make an yeah. animated series. Yeah, I'll hopefully this is the, the start of Konami realizing we can't be trusted with our own IPs. Hey, cool people, make stuff. Although, I, let's just hope that the voice acting is better than what we get in the games. <laughs> yeah, that's um, for sure. Yeah. The other one, and this is kind of a, a case of there being no justice left in the world. Uh, So we've talked a lot about how Konami have uh, very much pivoted into away from video game development with the exception of uh, Pro Evo was really the only one left. And I don't know if they've even officially confirmed Pro Evo 2018, but it was the only series that was still in active development with Metal Gear Solid gone. Uh, Bomberman is coming out on Switch, but I don't know who's actually making that. I know they own Bomberman, but I don't know who's making it. Um, uh, who made the 90s Bombermans? Hudson. Hudson, that's it. Yeah, I used to forget that. Uh, I have no idea. Um, Maybe it's Platinum. It's called Bomberman R, after all. Revenge yeah. instance. Yeah. Um, so they own Castlevania as well. They own Silent Hill. They own Metal Gear Solid. Um, so they pretty much stopped actively developing all that stuff um, and moved more into pachinko machines. Uh, and unfortunately, it's going really well. Um, I mean, to be fair, like, this shouldn't come as a surprise. Cause the again, this is another one of those cases is... where we prefer they went a different way, but from a business perspective, uh, they have obviously made the correct decision. Exactly. Unfortunately. Uh, Konami is not the Konami of old. The Japanese company has ditched Metal Gear creator Hideo Kojima and big-budget console video game development in favour of mobile games, casino machines, and gyms. Fans of the likes of Castlevania and Silent Hill may lament this switch in focus, but uh, the suits at the top of Konami Towers laughing all the way to the bank. 
That's because Konami is making a hell of a lot of profit, and much more profit than it did in 2015 when it released Metal Gear Solid 5. In short, Konami's new way is working. Konami reported a whopping 70% jump in profits for the nine months ending 31st of December 2016, versus the same period in 2015. What's key is this impressive profit boost comes despite be revenue being down 8.5%, which means Konami is a leaner, more profitable business in the post-Kojima Productions world. Although, you know, if there's one thing that uh, Hideo Kojima is associated with is ballooning budgets for his craziness. <laughs> See, I'm conflicted on this because um, I have a, an appreciation for the madness that is Kojima. Um, but I can also appreciate that from a business sense, mm -hmm. uh, working with him or having him in the company uh, could be described as taxing in a number of ways in the meaning of that word. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see exactly what budget he has to work with within Sony, whether he was just given an open check uh, or blank check, sorry, um, from the way that Death Stranding looks so far. <laughs> mm. You know, um, but hey, like... It... <laughs> They've done they've done a good thing, you know, yeah. for them. Yeah. Uh, business sense again, as we said with Disney, a company or a business is going to think business first before anything yeah. else. Yeah, it's just sad that some of the the great IPs in the video game world are possibly yeah. locked away. Well, I mean, you know, Silent Hill's been tarnished for however long now, so <sighs> nearly very much wasn't anymore. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. It's it's one of those things that you can be angry about, but you can't really say anything because... No, like I said, business-wise, it's, exactly. it's an absolutely sensible decision. Well, there it mightn't have been at the time, but they've certainly been vindicated. Yeah, and, you know, if they saw if they saw the bottom line and realised that this shit needs... To, we, we need to do something about this. I, I the, the key thing for a lot of people, obviously, will be the, the way that uh, Kojima was... Uh, in Aid from the company and that whole yeah that's still a that's... shitty thing regardless of the pachinko yeah you know i think that that is what holds people certainly for you and other people that's the kind of key thing there you know uh, but again uh, business people do as business people do indeed uh, well that's gonna wrap up the news for this week uh it's time to move on to the book club and we're inducting uh, another game where we had inducted the original already, and it's one of those rare occasions in games where a, a sequel can actually live up to expectations, um, uh, and is both a very similar game and a very different game in some ways. This week we're going to talk about Portal 2. Portal 2 is a 2011 first-person puzzle platform video game developed and published by Valve Corporation. It is the sequel to Portal from 2007 and was released on April 19, 2011 for Microsoft Windows, OS X, Linux, PS3 and Xbox 360. The retail versions of the game are distributed by Electronic Arts, while online distribution of the Microsoft Windows 
Mac OS X and Linux versions is handled by Valve's content delivery service Steam. Uh, get you a bit of a synopsis of the plot here as well. Um, the Portal series, yeah, the Portal series is linked to the Half Life series. The events in Portal take place between the first and second Half Life games, while most of Portal Two is set a long time after the events of Portal and Half Life Two. Before Portal, Aperture Science conducted experiments to determine whether human subjects could safely navigate dangerous test chambers until the artificial intelligence Glados. Governing the laboratory killed its employees. At the end of the first game, the protagonist Shell destroys Glados and momentarily escapes the facility, but is dragged back inside by an unseen figure later identified by writer Eric Walpaugh as the party escort bot. A promotional comic shows a strange Aperture Science employee, Doug Ratman, who used graffiti to guide the player in Portal, placing Shell into suspended animation to save her life until the beginning of Portal 2. So, Portal 2. Mark, um, it's safe to say when Portal came out as this little tiny, tiny little game as part of the orange box, um, that it blew a lot of people's fucking minds. And to even announce a sequel to try and take on such a perfect, neat little package of an experience uh, it must have been quite daunting for the folk at Valve to, to undergo. Um... And more pleasant was the surprise then when it came out and is actually an excellent game. Um, the, the the two things that the, the Portal franchise hinges on, um, both, both games hinge on, well, one, excellent puzzle mechanics, uh, and two, pitch black humour. And for a lot of this game, the pitch black humour is supplied... By the welcome edition of uh, one Stephen Merchant uh, as the kind of the, the AI floating eyeball bot uh, Wheatley, uh, who was a. Uh, I. Because it was at a time where I wasn't exactly up on my video game news, so getting Portal 2, opening it, and starting to play it, and realizing it's Stephen Merchant's voice was the first time I knew Stephen Merchant was in the game. So it was very much uh, an entertaining surprise for me. Uh, What are your memories of getting and playing Portal 2? So I came along um, to Portal 2, like now very much invested within understanding games as more than just a thing that I play. You know, really kind of looking into the design of games, thinking about the developers and why they make their games the way that they do um i i'd spent a lot of time with the orange box mm-hmm. and the uh, kind of the developer series that they had the running commentary that they had for um both portal and uh, the half-life games yeah uh, to really you know understand why valve made the decisions that they made and it was very interesting to get that kind of behind the scenes look at you know everything from the the kind of technical perspective and limitations of what could be done um to just just these kind of wild ideas that you would never have thought about but from like brainstorming or just looking at something a particular way it's like hey we can do that and we've said before i mean we've um reviewed the original portal as um a book club feature and you know, we've always said that the original Portal is just this kind of perfect, craft, so well crafted 
piece of, of video gaming um, expertise. You know, it only lasts a couple of hours. It in no way outstays its welcome. Um, you know, as as Yahtzee kind of says, yeah. you know, uh, it's just it's perfect. Yeah. It really is. And I came into this with an, a slight air of trepidation because mm. I was thinking to myself, well, yeah, part of what makes Portal so great is that it's just this kind of finely sliced piece of perfection. You know, doesn't outstay its welcome. How can they turn this into a eight to twelve hour campaign? Mm. You know, that continuous continuously takes the core mechanic of what is portal and then expands upon it considering mm. that the original portal took the core idea and then expanded upon it so mm. they needed to take that but then you know uh do even more within yeah. that um and so i came into the game really curious because i'd been doing my games design course uh i think as well kind of compelled and on, on top of that yeah, um, and I think the the opening scene of Portal Two really is a nod to that like acknowledgement that they have to expand on it. So you come in to suspend animation. You're in what looks like kind of a dingy hospital room. You meet Wheatley, uh, and your your room breaks apart as you begin to see the wider aperture facility as dragged along. And what is something completely unheard of in the first Portal game? This massive sprawling set piece of a scene as you just realize the magnitude the the vastness that is the the aperture science labs um i think it's interesting to set it a long 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 time after portal one um some of the things i do i think the the writing once again in in portal two much as it was in the first one is pitch perfect i think um, Wheatley is a great addition to the series. I think they do a they do a great job in this expanding on the lore of Portal, which wasn't necessarily a thing I thought I wanted to know a lot about, but I did by the end of the game. Um, I think they do a really, <laughs> it's really interesting the way Glados is brought back into it and sort of um kind of does a babyface turn in this yeah. game. <laughs> Um and the just the hilarious idea of uh for a while Glados is being powered by a potato. Uh, yeah. as you're going through the game <laughs> is fantastic i i think it um the things people like about portal are definitely still there you've still got long series of uh excellently crafted test chambers that really kind of um really test you uh, at times when you when you go through a sequence of them uh, and as well, for people who wanted a bit more, it's got all the story stuff that's going on and it just feels bigger uh, without actually getting massively away from Portal. And it adds things like, is it, it's the gel is new in this one, isn't it? Yeah. that's Yeah. That's so the, the, the gel that either reduces friction, increases friction or um, the bouncing gel um, adds another layer to the mechanics that were already well established from the, the first game uh, and one of the things i really like about portal 2 that i didn't get to until much later was the co-op version um, where you play as two robots uh, so it's a completely different <clears throat> you're not going through the same test chambers you're going through different test chambers uh, and because there's two of you playing instead of having two portals to solve puzzles there are pu there are puzzles complicated enough to require all four portals the two you can shoot and the two your player beside you shoot um 
And it's interesting because one of the things uh, you and I, Mark, have discovered when we were doing our Down with the Witness series that we were doing for quite a while is that <clears throat> it is very easy in, well, not very easy, but in your own head, it is easier to rationalize and solve a puzzle just thinking than it is to actually verbalize your train of thought. So there were times where I would solve a puzzle and try and then explain the puzzle to you in a way that made perfect sense to me, but you would not be following me at all. Yeah. Um, and that dynamic comes out a lot in the co-op play. So I played it locally with our friend Dan. We, we played through the whole thing in a couple of days. Um, and it makes things a lot more difficult. One, because the they have to increase the difficulty of the puzzles to accommodate for it. Most of the puzzles in the single-player game, if you had four portals, you could get through it a lot quicker. So they make very complex puzzles that you need to cleverly utilize all four portals to get both robots through to the end because you can't just get one person to the finish line. Uh, so they, they come up with unique ways of dividing you at certain points and making it very, very hard on both of you. Uh, and a, a thing that comes out, interestingly enough, is... So, if you're playing a game, uh, if you're playing The Witness, and one of us has an idea to solve it, one of us can just take the controller and do it. Hmm. If you're playing co-op and you've got two controllers, I might have an idea how to solve the puzzle, Dan might have an idea to solve the puzzle, and we're at loggerheads then and then trying to explain to the other person what you need to do also adds another level of difficulty it's like i need you to stand there and shoot that portal there and shoot that other one there this is what i think we need to do um it uh, all over both the the single player campaign and the cooperative campaign i think did really really well better than most series do of keeping the heart of why people really like that game and just making it bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where I, I know people say, and I wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't object to a, a third entry in the Portal franchise. But by the end of Portal Two, I thought to myself, and not in a bad way, I, I thought I don't really need any more Portal now. I think yeah. this is because I don't know where you go from here because the scope has already been taken massive with it. I don't know how much bigger you can make that kind of game where like the, the core mechanic of it is so small and tight. I don't know how much bigger you can make that game again, how you can top it in a way that still remains faithful to the original. You just fully merge Half-Life 3 and Portal 3 together. <laughs> Pretty much, just yeah. like Half-Life 3, except your two weapons are the gravity gun and the portal gun. I'm fine with that. Yeah, <laughs> Dual wielding both of those guns. Yeah, yeah that'd be pretty cool. Um, but your, your thoughts I can, on... I can see it now where you shoot a portal like to the wall behind you, shoot a portal behind a guy who's mm. on the other side and they just fire out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, the thing about Portal 2, now I haven't played Portal 2 in a long, long time, so a lot of this is kind of going from what I rem remember. Distant memory. Yeah. I remember the the grander sense of scale of the puzzles, um, the, the greater sense of verticality, you know, mm. to some of the things they were doing. But also just how, um, and it's a word that we use a lot for particular games, but it has to be stressed, the the immersiveness that Valve create, which they're pretty good at when you think about the Half-Life games, but how they took the immersiveness of the Half-Life series and put it into a fucking puzzle game, you know? Um, but also took that puzzle game and really kind of fleshed out the story. Yeah. And it's 
because Valve, again, they're very good at this, they get the pacing spot on by, you know, they'll give you some very taxing puzzles and challenges, but then they'll give you um, a moment to kind of unwind, uh, let the plot advance a little bit, and it's all done within the first-person perspective. You are the player that takes all of this information in, uh, which, you know, really creates that sense of agency as you as Shell, you know, yeah. being the person to progress with the story. And I was just amazed that they took this two-hour game, extended it into an eight- to twelve-hour game, and by the end of it, as you were quite right to say, you know, you you feel like you've had your fill of mm. Portal 2, um, but it still didn't outstay its welcome. Yeah. Uh, which I think is, is kind of a phenomenal feat. Um, now, what I like as well is the way that they incorporate this sense of um, nature reverting and over... and This sense of um, a kind of pristine, sterile environment being overgrown by, or overtaken by nature. Um, you think about a game like The Last of Us, where it has the nature where it kind of taking back reverting kind of everything back to yeah. to um not the status quo but just just nature taking back over uh, but it's even more stark here because you have the kind of sterile white environments of these test chambers against uh, nature you know and it really kind of shows through as you get further and further into the game and i think valve did a very good job with that and then the key thing as well is is, is the voice acting is uh, phenomenal. Now, I didn't realise this, but do you know who they had planned to get in if uh, uh, Merchant was available? I did know this, but I don't know it now. It's uh, your man Moss from the IT crowd. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Who? Richard I kind of... I kind of wish it had been. Well, now you, could, you can hope for that for Portal 3, then. Sure, yeah, that'd be <laughs> great. Uh, maybe they'll finally voice Gordon Freeman. <laughs> that's Richard Iwane <laughs> that wouldn't work at all yes it would come on. work in a real demented kind of way um, it just yeah like I don't think I can kind of say anything happened to what he said here but them taking that core concept and making a real kind of fully fleshed game out of it adding the co-op as well and everything that you said about it uh, just yeah it's it's definitely a game that has to be played yeah, and it also uh, features another banger of a tune over the end credits from uh, written by Jonathan Colton. Indeed. Uh, He's a good lad. I like him. Yeah. Uh, Want You Gone this time uh, instead of Still Alive. Both yeah. songs are absolutely fantastic. I don't know if you've ever seen, I know Still Alive is the Portal 1 song. Have you ever seen, there's a video on YouTube that I definitely recommend everyone check out, which is a children's choir performing Still Alive. I've never seen that. Yeah, like, it's not the greatest HD camera in the world, but it's it's kind of fantastic. Because hearing, like, a little 10-year-old child just sing, Maybe Black Mesa? <laughs> it's looking weird. But uh, what would be an elevator pitch for this game? I suppose it's one of the... It's one of the best examples in video games of uh, a game that uh, takes, like I said before, takes everything everyone loves about the sequel... And manages to blow it up to a massive degree, involve set pieces, involve lore on a level that hadn't been in the original, while still doing excellent service to the original and what people are there to play again, without outstaying its welcome. Like but like you said, and like I said, by the end, you have perfectly reached your fill 
of of that game there's never a point in in which i feel it lags uh there, there's never a point where i'm like well this whole section here is just a time killer or anything like that it's a, an excellent game from start to finish and a very rare um i think it's the only time i've ever seen it where you get uh you can steam link between the ps3 version yeah. and the steam version of the game and you get an automatic steam key for uh, Portal 2 if you buy the PS3 version I remember you know. that blew my tiny fragile mind back in the day yeah it's really really weird uh, I also have I should sometime uh, maybe give it away if I because I think I own it on Steam already I bought the Portal board game the uncooperative cake uh, simulation mm. game or whatever it's called uh, and there's a Steam key for Portal 2 in it <laughs> uh, so I might give that away someday but yeah that's uh portal 2 in the book club uh, we have one bit of business left on the books mark and that is for you to tell us what we're doing next week banjo tui yeah yeah we've got to talk about tetris it's got to be done at some point yeah and considering you know russia's planning to take over the world actually can i make this a double header Okay. Because there's something I'd like to pair with this. A nice right. accompaniment. Okay. So next week on the show, we will do Tetris. But we will also accompany that with a discussion of one of my favorite documentaries of all time. Ah, uh, okay. The Ecstasy of Order. Sure. Masters of Tetris, I think it's called. Hold on till I just check. Um, do you know what that is, means? It is an excellent... Um, do, do, do you know what that means? What? I need to watch that. Yes. Yeah. And then we can also talk about the fact there's going to be a trilogy of Tetris films. Oh, no, we should not talk about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, Ecstasy of Order, the Tetris Masters. Uh, it's, a, it's a really cool documentary. I'll put that mic About champion Tetris players. Mm. I think there might even... <sighs> Will this be the third documentary we've watched that has Billy Mitchell in it? I can't remember if there's like a Billy Mitchell reference or something in this movie. I don't think he's in it in it, but I think he might be referred to. Well, no, we didn't do a book club, but we only spoke we about... We have seen another... Uh, yeah, I well, saw that. I think we that. spoke about with... Uh, on the show Peter was on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where he just shows up and makes a massive baby face turn. Yeah. It's a great documentary. Love Billy Mitchell. <laughs> Hate bastards. Uh, that's going to do it uh, for episode 54 of Link to the Cast. Link to the cast.eu is the website. That is where our show notes get posted. That is uh, the main website. Uh if you want to follow us on social media, that's the best place to keep up to date with our stuff. Facebook.com forward slash link to the cast at link to the cast on the tweet machine. Um, you get notifications as soon as our content goes up on both of those platforms. Twitch.tv forward slash link to the cast is where our streams go out from when they're done live and they get banked on our YouTube channel later. If you go to YouTube.com and just search for link to the cast, all one word or separately, it should take you to the, to us uh on the first page of results fingers crossed anyway um we have a weekly schedule of uh, videos and and products mm. that go up online kind of yeah we've, we've kind of been a little bit all over the place since christmas but getting sort of back into the groove of things generally speaking i don't think there was one up this week but generally speaking mondays is mark on mondays that's when mark plays something by himself mark what are you playing at the moment uh nothing at the moment because i came home monday and fell asleep uh so work uh, yeah hey look the whole kind of working full-time job what Uh, will be going up next monday i will plan to do another installment of day of the tentacle how's that working out so far so fine it's again to the point now where i'm really having to think video game logic to how these puzzles work 
you know, really starting to just drag one thing onto another thing and hope that something does a thing. Yeah. And so, yeah, still doing Sometimes that. Uh, Tuesday is when an old book club goes up. Um, yes. <laughs> you can tell by that, yes, that Mark is generally in charge of putting that up. Yeah, again. It didn't go up this week, did it? Uh, no, of course not. Uh, so keep an eye out for an old book club that sure. we will put up tonight or yesterday as you're listening to this. Uh, Wednesday, we had been doing Den with a Witness, where I laugh at Mark's despair as he uh, plays the witness, but you've tapped out I'm, now officially. I'm done with that game. So we're moving I, on I to... feel like I might come back to that on my own, at my own pace, where I'm yep. not being pressured by re- streaming it live. <laughs> uh, we are starting this week uh, a series that we're calling uh, Retro Corner 64, where we are chronologically going through every single N64 game from release to the death of the console. Uh, so obviously this week was starting with Super Mario 64, which we played. It'll be half hour long streams mm-hmm. uh, because we kind of reasoned that there's pretty much no game on the N64 you can't pretty much get a good view of within half an hour. Um, so you can check that out. Thursday is when this podcast gets posted. It's the only thing that gets posted that day, just for you to enjoy and relax. Friday is Friday of Plays. That's where I play uh, a game by myself, and I am playing Life is Strange at the moment, um, which I need to record one for this week. But uh, that's been going... It's an interesting and weird and strange and fun game uh, that I enjoy quite a lot. Anyway, that's our Monday to Friday schedule. Uh, individually, you can check us out. I'm at Dave Ryan IV on the Tweet Machine, and Mark over there is at Lithium Project. So for episode 54 of Link to the Cast, I've been Dave Ryan, he's been Mark Robinson, and we shall see you all next week. Goodbye.